1: Welcome to Vavil UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. I'm your host, Harry Roy, and this week I'm joined, as usual, by Dan Wright and Alex Wood. Well, we didn't lose again, did we? Another good result away at West Ham, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was a good result. Um, I think the performance was quite pleasing as well, you know, especially considering we were out uh, without Kieran Trippier, Wilson, Sit, Maxman, three potentially your best players and yet we went to a team looking to qualify for the Champions League, and if anything, the only thing you could say is we were maybe unlucky not to win the game. Maybe neither side did quite enough, but I'd say Newcastle probably edged the game over 90 minutes, so quite a pleasing performance, and off the back of three wins, a performance like that and a result like that is really, really welcome, and it's looking really positive at the minute.
1: I mean, Alex, before the game, I think we all would have took a 1-1 draw, especially with you know West Ham then being in the best of form, but still fifth in the league, and... Going for a spot in the top four, aren't they?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, many people predicted us to get beat, and un- unless you are me, um, I predicted on this <laughs> podcast it would be a one-all draw. So I'm taking that dub to the to the bank um, and a victory there. But um, no, of course, if you consider Newcastle's record in London, first of all, we're atrocious when we go down there. Always atrocious. To pick up a point it is absolutely brilliant. Um, but I. I did want to hammer home some uh, some like home truths about obviously the the point and everything like that um it again comes back to things where um we always drop points either from leading a game or or we regain points uh, from being behind and it's it, it it's the first one that we normally um suffer with at the beginning of and throughout this season yeah, it's very true isn't it? It was nice to have a little bit of a
1: comeback but i mean I was in the stands watching the game. And the, especially the first 20 minutes, it was like, we're actually dominating the ball here. Newcastle, I, I can't remember the last time we actually played a game in the same, you know, against fellow Premier League opposition where we actually had more possession. So to, to go and do that, I thought, you know, really, really pleasing. And I think we're all very happy with the result of full time. You know, to, like we said, it's a, it's a good point away from home or one we would have took uh, prior to kickoff. But I can't help but feel maybe it was two points dropped against them.
0: I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think that in terms of the result as a whole, a draw was definitely the fair result. I think Newcastle edged it. Did they do enough? Maybe not. But two points dropped. I think if you put in a performance like that and you haven't won your last three, then maybe I'd be more inclined to feel like that. But it just felt like, to me anyway, it felt like we backed up what we'd done in the previous weeks. And actually it was maybe it was probably a better performance for 90 minutes as a whole than the Aston Villa win. Like, it was really, really solid. And like I said before, if you do that without your best players, that's the benchmark. Like, we can go to teams like that and get a point, put performance and like that. So I'm not necessarily sure it's two points dropped. Um, For me, I think it's a point gained.
2: Yeah, and we spoke about last week the fact that like, people are not giving us enough credit for the fact that we're unbeaten in six now, still unbeaten in 2022. Um one throw in the bounce before this. They are now. They're starting to recognise this now. This is, as Duns just said there, the benchmark. If performances drop below this mark now, even with Trippier, Alan and Maximum, Callum Morrison back, then what are we doing? This is not the standard Newcastle United have to play. The intensity was great, putting West Ham on the back foot and occasionally making some of their most dangerous players absent-minded is absolutely brilliant and the lads definitely deserved a point
1: yeah i think once again a bit like all the other matches we kind of had quite a few you know really really impressive individual performances and joe willick's the first man that this brings to my mind i thought we it's a bit of a, a flashback to what we saw from him at the end of last season when he was here on loan i thought he was a man of the match performance and and deserved his goal as well dan didn't he
0: yeah no he was he was really really good i mean he's been getting better every week i think um i'm sure both agree it yeah. just seems like the confidence is slowly coming back i think last week on here i said the one thing missing is a goal just to push that confidence even further he's got that it wasn't a lot of the chances he's had he's you know he's had to think about it and he's, that's what's been the problem this one was just instant reaction hook the Declan rice makes a mistake hook the ball back over and in back to the net so I think Kim go- scoring a goal, I think, is so much bigger than just an equaliser because we saw what he was like once he got a goal under his belt last season. He went on an incredible run. If we get half of that, then relegation isn't going to be an issue whatsoever. So it was just amazing. You couldn't have picked a better goal scorer, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, We've bigged him up for the past two, three weeks ever since we've gone on this mini little run of three on the bounce and now obviously followed it with um, a point at West Ham. Like He's been pivotal to that as well as Joe Linton. And now that he's adding goals back into that game and we can sit there and go, he is that danger threat because he had a really good opportunity in the first half as well where he, he, he sent Declan Rice the wrong way, dribbled right into the box and his, his final ball was poor. And... Wasted the opportunity, but he was there, he was getting into that area, and he was starting to look like Joe Willick that we had on last season. Yeah, I mean, personally, I was
1: really, really delighted to him, because I think we all said that we, he just needed that goal, but I thought he he was back to his best, and I think a lot of that was actually down to Chris Wood's performance, I know everyone's so critical about him at the minute, I know goal-scoring-wise nowhere near, and look, he ain't Callum Wilson, simple as that, but I think he won more aerial duels than any other player uh, this week uh, last weekend. And I thought he'd done an excellent job of bringing Willock into the game and holding up the ball because I think he was able to almost play as a number 10 or in midfield. So I think, you know, if Willock keeps playing the way he is and, and keeps getting himself in the positions he did against West Ham, then he's going to cause Brentford in particular a lot of problems uh, this weekend. But also uh, against West Ham, we saw Matt Target come back into the side, of course. Uh, couldn't play against Aston Villa as it was his parent club. And I think he just showed that just the quality the lad possesses and it makes you wonder even more why Villa let him come to us on loan because at the minute, he's a, he's a class above.
0: He was really, really solid in his debut, wasn't he? He was a solid 7 yeah. out of 10. Did not put a foot wrong. But against West Ham, I saw something that I wasn't sure he's was capable of. I thought he had more attacking nous than I've given credit for in the past. I don't know if you agree against mm, West Ham.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I thought he was solid going forward because I think, obviously, when we saw him in his debut against Everton... Saint Maximan's the man going forward, and Target. It was his job essentially just to defend. But I think because he had Fraser on that side, and Ryan Fraser, you know, is happy to get back and you know do the dirty work himself. Like, it give Target a little bit more freedom going forward. I think he he made a good few runs down the left hand side, got some good crosses into the box, and that can only be a, you know a confidence booster for us, Alex. That we've got a, a a full back that's not just solid defensively, but has that capability of going forward too.
2: Yeah, especially with the loss of Kieran Tripp here. That's that's an avid hole that we've we were obviously missing with with trips being injured and breaking his foot there. Um, you would need a a fullback in this Premier League that can do both. Um, I'm really glad that we we have Matt Target. He's a solid solid player um, and yeah. Overall, the chances that he he managed to create on Saturday were incredible, um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to absolutely rinsing Brentford a new one as well. It just led me in nicely
1: there into the, the game on Saturday because I think it was a must-win before, you know, everything that happened with Burnley in particular going on a run. Uh, but Brentford at the minute currently sit 14th in the table. They are essentially the, the top of the relegation sides at the minute. They've got 26 games played and 24 points on the board. Newcastle, two games at hand on Brentford and just two points behind. So a win with, I think, Everton and Leeds both with with Chelsea and Man City to play, I think. No, not Chelsea, but they've both got tough games this weekend. Uh, you'd like to think that Newcastle can move up to 14th with a victory, but it's going to be hard. And I think especially with I think Burnley's win last night against Spurs was a very sobering experience for a lot of Newcastle fans that maybe just thought that their days of looking at the bottom three scarily are, are past <laughs> us. But I think it's even put more of an emphasis now on getting a result on Saturday, because I think a draw... Before Burnley winning yesterday, might have just been you know that's all right. Keep us ticking along, but we need to win, don't we, Dan?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's if you look at Newcastle and Brentford, it seems like two teams in completely opposite trajectories to each other. Brentford are in freefall, and Newcastle are finally putting some results together. Which I mean, is my in my experience as a Newcastle fan can only mean one thing, and it's not good.
1: <laughs> don't say that.
0: Um, <laughs> no. We've seen it all before, but I think Newcastle can go there with re- real, genuine confidence and a bit of a swagger about them because the way they're playing football, they, they should have confidence about them. I mean, is is St Maximum back? Do we do we know that? He looked, well, he's been in the gym and...
1: Apparently, he's still in Monaco. He's been over there doing right. some training, I think. A lot of it's down to the Helios tournament that he held there. But <laughs> I, it doesn't look good. You never know. But he, did you not see the Instagram photo today where he's in some sort of like oxygen chamber... And someone um, knew something about that and said it's a, a quick recovery, so maybe they're gonna try and get him back. But if he's if he's abroad, I personally don't see him playing. But I think it's a worry, isn't it, with not having him playing? Just because Ryan Fraser's also uh, an injury doubt for this game as well. He, he come off with a little bit of a, yeah. a bit of a tight hamstring, I think, on uh, after the game on on Saturday. So I think without Fraser and St Maximan, uh, that's a. Big blow to our front line, especially when you're looking to score goals. So, I mean, the the, the player. I mean, Murphy, I thought done all right on Saturday. Yeah, you'd have to I bring in we did well, yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. I think the thing is, Murphy's got more attacking quality than than hasn't he? So, sort of, yeah. Almon's quick. He's a live wire. He'll press high, but Murphy's got more about him in terms of crossing, in terms of that final ball. So, I think if you if you are without Fraser and Saint Maxmin, I think that would be a massive blow. But th- we've shown now that as a ninety minutes performance, we can we can play all right without our star players. As a team, we look well, way more drilled than we ever were this season. So say that, for example, St Maximin and Fraser are both injured and we are are basically playing with our second choice wingers. I'm still going into that game with confidence, thinking, do you know what? We've we've got a very good chance of winning this game because of the way that they're playing as a unit. And that's just polar opposite of anything we said before uh, before, uh, Eddie Howe came in.
1: I think the big shift's the fitness issues as well. That's completely huge, been eradicated. Huge, yeah. I think it was a big eye-opener, especially for me on Saturday, because we knew that the look, the lads are are a lot fitter. But if you look at that first game against West Ham mm. and compare it to the one we saw last weekend, huge differences in terms of, of, of the fitness of the players. And we actually outran, I didn't say we outran West Ham, but we comfortably you know, went toe-to-toe with them, something we weren't able to do a few months ago. So, Alex, even with, you know, if we were to lose St Maxman and Fraser, you know, ahead of Saturday... Are you as confident as us that we can get a result here?
2: A hundred percent. I I will utilise um, something that Dan said earlier. Um, I'm not trying to immediately copy everything in, in terms of the <laughs> um, tra- in terms of the trajectory thing because um, it is. Uh, I think that's the best way I've heard it described of this weekend's tie, all over the place. Like when we first played them uh, earlier on in the season, we were crushing. They were rising. Now it's completely the other way around. And I think, for me, everything in football is about momentum and confidence. Newcastle have that in abundance, and Brentford have that in absolute nothing. They don't have any of it. Um, So, yeah, to build on another thing, I really, really like Miguel Almiron. I adore him. I think he's amazing on his day. And if you give him that left-hand side, or even the right-hand side, he can play both. If you give him that left-hand side, and you say run, press that right back, run, 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 he'll do it with that ginormous, childish grin on his face that just makes you absolutely <laughs> love him. Um, and he is a hard worker for this team. His final ball is not as good as Jacob Murphy, but he is probably the fittest player on our uh, on our team, and he will run for absolute days. It's an interesting one with Miggy because like
1: last season I think when we had I think this time last season we had that injury crisis didn't we where we lost St Maximan Wilson and Almiron all in the same week. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were like were panicking when Almiron was took out of the team and now he, he seems to be the forgotten man. I think we all know that like Alex said on his day he can be very good but I just think that, I think a lot of people would would happily sell him in the summer. I think he's a bit of a forgotten man. He's got a lot to prove I think now. So maybe this is Almiron's chance to, to get himself back in the fold, because we know he's got the quality, don't we?
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, quality is something, you know, in terms of final product he lacks. But, I mean, his pace and his, you know, his endless energy is a tool for absolutely any team in the world. Like, it's just, it's infectious almost. I mean, when he came in and had a run of games in the team last season... And we, you do you, remember, do you remember that little run of games when everyone was calling Graham Jones a siren. and, and for like, for a few <laughs> weeks? For a few weeks, yeah. we pressed really high up the pitch and it was brilliant. And then we went back to Steve Bruce's ways or whatever and just forgot about it. He was brilliant in that role, in the attacking midfield role, because he, he didn't give the defence, like, a moment's peace. He scored a few goals for himself as well. Um, Two, I remember, is in the Southampton game that we won 3 2. Like, he has got ability to make a difference. So, it, like, it's not the end of the world if he's in the starting eleven by a long shot. I mean, I agree with a lot of what Alex said about him. You know, there's a lot to like about Miguel Almiron.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about him, but I think we'd all, you know, prefer, obviously, Fraser and St Max back. But like yeah, we thought, well said, it's not a disaster if he does start because we all know there is a player in there and especially we've seen, under Eddie Howe, a lot of players have, you know, been galvanised under him. So, who's to say that, that Miggy's not the next? Another one, you know, on the injury saga that we seem to have at this club. It's, you know, I've, I was talking about this the other day, and we're just saying Newcastle never just get three points. It's always win, but at what cost? They always end up losing a few players, but we might get a bit of a boost ahead of Saturday, and I think it's a one we need in that right back position. Uh, Javier Manquil was back in training. I think he's trained all week, to be fair. Um, so could be in line um, to take Emil Craft's place back in the, in the starting 11. I think we need him back, um, Manquil. I just think he offers a little bit more defensive solidity and uh, Jury's out of craft I thought he'd done alright at the weekend against West Ham but you can tell that he's a player that still lacks a little bit of confidence doesn't
0: he yeah I mean the, the free kick that he gave away picking up a, a yellow card yeah, was, it was his man as well wasn't it, it for the it goal le- I think it was his man and it led to the goal his man in the middle like I mean, I don't, I mean it'll craft a player he's never going to be a player that you look on and go he really let us down today like he's always trying but there's, there's just something there he's not I don't think he's just switched on defensively as time as Manquio. And also, he's not as good going forward as Manquio. No. So, for me, I agree. Like, If Manquio is fit, I, th- I think he plays.
1: Alex, would you play a Manquio that's 60% fit over 100% fit Emil Craft?
2: Um, I think you already know the answer to that question. <laughs> um, I, like, I think the way that you said it, um, the, how you said uh, Emil Craft there, is really, really nice. Um, and the pair of you have been really nice to him because <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was awful on certainly. I thought he was terrible I mean terrible. He,
1: had, he had some bad points but I, I don't think anyone played awful I, th- I just think we're in such a nice run at the minute look we've got picked up 10 points from 10 out of a possible 12 I don't think anyone's having a shocker but he won great I,
2: I, I understand that but like right okay if we lost the game who would we have picked on?
0: probably can't. It's a fair We'd have
2: picked on a real if we'd lost the game. We drew the game so and we had a little positive streak and we were better than West Ham and we probably m- maybe deserved three points and all of the things we've discussed already on this podcast but he was the weakest link on that pitch. Everybody knew it that's why they attacked him. That's why he got booked for that unnecessary free kick. It's why he let, uh, they put the, one of their best friend headers of the ball on there to make sure that they could score a goal from a set piece and they did and that was that he was woeful absolutely awful so yes give me a 60% Manquilla over 100% of well
1: we're all unanimous so I think Alex is a little bit more wild than the claims of Milcroft I <laughs> yeah. think we all want Manquio back in uh, for the weekend but another one obviously we, we've talked about the permutations of the league table and, and the win I think with Leeds are playing Tottenham I don't, I don't trust Spurs as far as I can throw them no. the last night. This play against Burnley, but Everton have got Man City, and usually Everton roll over for Man City because they don't want Liverpool winning the league. So I think a win for Newcastle would move us up to 14th. It would certainly put some numbers, you know, it would put some numbers between us and the bottom three, which is nice. It's, it's bodies there, and I think the gap, you know, depending on whatever happens, I think Newcastle have at least three or four points buffer towards the bottom three. Mm-hmm. Does a victory make us close to being safe, do we
2: think?
0: I think we're certainly on our way there. I mean, a loss it does the complete opposite because then you know we're really in trouble right again. But I think a win, you you touched on it there before about the amount. It's not just points like teams below you as well. I think that would be a psychological boost massively because for so long we've all we've all been in this mindset that it's the bottom four, three from four will go. But actually, now seven or eight, isn't it? It's it's really not looking like that anymore, and the fact that it's opening up is surely a big bonus for Newcastle and the likes of Burnley and Norwich as well because they'll be thinking if we can put a run together then we can get out of this as well. So if we win and say we hypothetically uh, Spurs actually win this time, I mean Man City are definitely going to be Everton and we are 14th, it's like what were what we all worrying about, you know? So yeah,
2: 100%. A lot will be mid-knowledge made, made to us on Friday when um, Norwich plays Sunderland. Uh, sorry, Southampton. Sunwind, is it the oh, Southampton. Southampton, <laughs> sorry. Um Southampton. When Norwich plays Southampton, a lot will be made knowledge to us on Friday night. Um because if Norwich win that game, ho boys, it is it's squeaky bum time, it's getting tight mm. down there because it will be it it will be literally six points between bottom and fourteenth.
0: one of the out. I'm more chilled out than that, to be honest. I'm thinking if Norwich win it's sort of like we couldn't catch Southampton.
2: <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you look at the no. league
1: table now, and I'm looking at, and I can't believe that Newcastle are only five points behind Leicester. These, I know. That, it's like, if, if, if someone said to you before the start of the season, ah, look, you'd be five points behind Leicester after 24 games played," what would have went? Ah, we'll take that because you think Leicester are probably going oh, to top four. Yeah. No, not. It, it, it is a wide open league, and I still think you know there's an opportunity for Newcastle to finish as high as 11th. Of course, they've got to get a little bit more luck on the injury front. I'd like to think. But in terms of relegation, I mean, I've been I've, I've been talking with uh, Johnny, our editor-in-chief, who's a Burnley fan, and we often banter each other quite a lot about the relegation fight. And we always kind of thought that it was, you know, like you said, Dan, three or four will go. It's wide open now with Burnley's win and our our good form as well. And I don't think either team goes down. I mean, if you're looking at that, I mean, Leeds for me, I mean, got beat 6-0 last night at Liverpool. Of course, no shame in getting beat off Liverpool, but they're dropping hard and there's, there's so many teams i mean everton i, I still think there's a thing of like too good to go down but a few more injuries for them and they're in trouble then you look at brentford who've fallen like a stone over the last hmm. you know few weeks i mean are still in a decent position in 14th place but a, a defeat and they could be i think they could be 16th or 17th so it, it's wide open isn't it
0: yeah i'd say my money's on on brentford to go um yeah, along bit, with yeah. watford along with watford and norwich i think like you said, Burnley just have this knack, don't they? Just getting out of positions that they probably have no right to get out of. And you've got to give Sean Dyke's credit for that, really. But yeah, I think they, the form they've shown and scrapping wins against Spurs and stuff like that, I think they'll have enough, to be honest, yeah.
2: I don't want to discount Norwich with Dean Smith, though. Or I don't think what you can discount
1: Like To be fair, like, cause, I mean, Burnley were on 14 points a week ago. They're now on 20. It can, it can turn around so quick. And how many times have we seen back-to-back wins? Like Norwich got... I think Norwich was 17th two weeks ago. Yeah, and we the were way, all yeah. going, oh, Norwich are the team to watch. Then they got got like, thumped off Palace, now bottom of the league. You know, Watford beat Aston Villa away, which is obviously a, a great result. Sorry, Norwich didn't get thumped off Palace, it was Watford. But, like, it, it's just... It's up and down, isn't it, all the time? Like, teams win, they fall off. Like, now everyone's on the Burnley hype train. What happens if Burnley get beat 6-0 the weekend? It, it, I just think it's too close to call at the minute. We've got fourteen games to go, and until then, it's it's gonna. Be, I think it's just gonna change around a lot. And if, it really wouldn't surprise me if the three teams in the bottom three at the minute all stayed up. You can't predict it, can you?
0: No, definitely not.
1: So usually, what we do on this podcast, as you all know, we end off on our predictions for the game. But we're not actually going to do that this week. We're going to end off on a bit of an interesting topic regarding stadium relocation and a new badge but before we get on to that which I'm sure will be very very interesting so do stick around got to do our famous predictions it's Brentford away Saturday 3 o'clock Dan what are you going for?
0: Well I touched on it before about like Newcastle usually when we're in form the other teams not we get beat but I'm going to be positive I think it'll be a close game but I think we're going to win 2-1
2: Alex are you also thinking going to win? I'm going to win, but I'm not making it close. We're winning three nil. Oh, I'd love that.
1: I'm going to yes, go with, please. I would love a three nil, but I just think Newcastle will make this quite difficult, and especially with Christian Eriksen potentially coming back for this game, he's bound to score. So I'm going to go two one Newcastle. I just think we'll have too much for them, a lot more confidence, and I think that'll just get us up over the line. Also, and
0: is it, Ivan Tony's meant to be injured, isn't he? I, I,
1: apparently, he might be back.
0: All oh, right, okay. So he's probably gonna <laughs> no, score. Well, never mind. So we'll no. Make it three-two. Anyways, we're gonna win, <laughs> so it's fine.
1: Um, but on to the the last topic of the day, and I thought we'd 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 buff this up a little bit because usually what goes on with Newcastle, we talk about the, the 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 game before the game at the weekend, and then all a the load of stuff going on. But there's actually not a lot to really happen this week. But we have seen a discussion that's kind of filtered around ever since the takeover happened, and this is regarding. Um, the change in the future of Newcastle United, and the first one is the, the, the stadium talk. Fifty-two thousand seat stadium at the minute, it's selling out week in, week out. It's like well, I wouldn't say it's gold does getting a ticket enough for a home game, but it's certainly proving a lot harder than it used to be. And especially with the club, you know, looking in you know to to progress all the way up to you know elite level in in the game, a fifty-two thousand seat stadium isn't going to be enough. There's been a lot of talk regarding expanding the stadium and because of everything going on outside the ground and actually selling the land and grade one buildings and streetlights and all this sort of thing it doesn't seem we're able to expand the stadium do you risk losing a generation of supporters if you don't move stadiums and expand it's such a difficult one isn't it I mean let's, Dan I want to get your thoughts on this mate because you're a season ticket holder you've been going for a long long time should Newcastle eventually leave St James's Park
0: no Definitely not, in my opinion. Um, it's just it's the home, it's spiritual home. It's like everything good about Newcastle United as a club, I see in St James's Park. Like it's not, it's not doesn't doesn't quite look right, does it? I mean, it's a bit who it's a bit wonky, it's a bit sort of, but it's just so perfect, you know. It's in the city centre. I mean, I remember seeing a league table of pubs within half a mile. You've got hundred and eight. The next one down is thirty two. That's what I want my football club to be. I'd say look into every avenue to increase the size, I mean there's probably really clever ways around it or stuff to improve it that they can work on. But if not, I mean fifty-two thousand. I mean, the way you talked about it there, you think you're going on as if it was like Bournemouth's twelve thousand capacity stadium. Like yeah. it's in terms of losing a generation of supporters, I mean the 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 size of the fan base now is big enough for any club in the world to have success. Like, it's massive and it's only gonna get bigger regardless of the size of the stadium the only thing is the only way i would maybe entertain the idea of a move um i think it might have been when obviously i wasn't around here so if i've got this wrong i apologize but i think when sir john hall was around at the club there was muted plans of moving the stadium to lisa's park which is obviously just on the doorstep of st james's park because there's a big plot of land there where they could get like a bigger stadium so if that is possible then I'd m- maybe think about thinking about that. But for me, I, I just think it'd be wrong to move away from St James's Park at the moment.
1: I mean, Alex, as, as someone who's pretty dissimilar from Dan in terms of going to the games, obviously, you know, li- not living in, in the area, what does St James's Park symbolise to you? And, and do you think, from a personal perspective of, you know, going to games in the future, and if we stayed at St James's Park, it would essentially landlock you out the ground, would you entertain a move to a uh, say to, uh, to the town more of that sort of thing and, and and what size would we need as well as, a, as another question because i think we, we don't want to go into a danger of the stadium being too big where we can't fill it i think it has to be probably 60 65k
2: yeah of course um like as as you rightly said there yes absolutely I'm completely different from the pair of you as you can tell by the accent um, and that I'm a little bit more Yorkshire born um, and I currently live in Derbyshire where you guys are born and bred there and always will do but I remember my first ever trip to Newcastle uh, to St James's Park it was a one-all draw against Fulham Charles and Sogby of all people scoring a direct free kick to rescue as a point unbelievable day I've been to the to the stadium, maybe a hundred times, maybe a hundred and one, two, three, whatever it is. But every single time, it is special. You get goosebumps when you walk walk through. When you hear the songs right before the the game start, it is the cathedral on the hill. It's everything that you want. And I do want to just ask something. Um, there. Do you guys think that? Because you mentioned it before that you might risk losing a generation of um, like supporters and stuff like that. But my question is, how can you lose a generation of supporters when it sells out every week? It's in everything that is connected with Newcastle. It's right there. You want to go to Matalan? It's right there. You want to go to Primark? It's right there. <laughs> TK Maxx anywhere? It's right there. Right down to Chinatown? It's there. You are... It's everywhere in that city. You cannot miss it. So... If you're six, you say, what's that, what's that, dad? We'll go next week, son. We'll go next week. And you see it. You never, ever lose that generational talent. Yes, of course. If you can't get a ticket because 52,000 sells out, yes, build it 70,000 there. Will it sell out every week? Probably not. Will we then suddenly get a Manchester United experience? Possibly. But if you... You become that big as Manchester United which Newcastle are well on their way with the Saudi takeover you get tourists coming in you get tourists spending that money and it's good for the city as well as the club
0: I think it's hit absolutely hit the nail on the head there with the the like the supporter thing because it's just such a big part of if you grew up in Newcastle or even if you don't grow up in Newcastle like what Alex is saying like if you have feel a connection towards Newcastle United when you walk into St James's Park you automatically feel like you belong, you're part of something. And that's what I don't want to lose, to go to... I mean, we were both at West Ham, weren't we, Harry? I mean, yeah. what West Ham fans, they've yes, they've moved to a bigger stadium, but is there one West Ham fan that wouldn't want to move back to the bowling? Because that is yeah. one of the most soulless stadiums I've ever been to. Like, it's in the middle of absolutely nowhere, horrible area, and it's the ground is too big for them. Like, they can't fill it. I, I would have serious worries about that, to be honest. But... St James's Park is really, really special. I think Alex touched on a lot of good things there.
1: Is he getting as emotional, boys? I mean, like, I would never want to leave St James's Park, and I think the most perfect outcome would be that they find some magical way to expand that stadium. Because I think we only need another ten thousand on top of, you know, what what we're already at fifty two k. I think sixty five thousand would be would be the perfect demand for Newcastle. But in comparison to other teams, I mean, Liverpool's fifty three thousand one of the biggest clubs in the world you've got Chelsea I think there's 42,000 something like that they're, yeah. not, they're not overly big stadiums and there's not a, de- a demand for it so I think look in terms of an atmosphere if you want to keep your atmosphere I think it's pretty clear like we've seen with West Ham at the weekend the worst set of home fans I've ever seen at, at an away game and I've been to some now, I've been to Ipswich, Norwich, all sorts, and, and West Ham was the worst, and it's got nothing to do with the supporters. I mean, West Ham fans were the best, some of the best fans we've seen at St James's Park this season. But that stadium is just a soulless dome, and I would just hate for Newcastle to move into a new ground, and it just turn up something like that. I mean, you ask a Tottenham Hotspur fan, they've moved into that, you know, wonderful. I mean, it's an amazing stadium, the fantastic, yeah, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But how many of them would want to go back to White Hart Lane? I would say ninety percent it seems that the grass is never always greener and i think with the saudis minds on, on the other foot we would get a fantastic stadium we wouldn't move into a london stadium equivalent we'd move into something very very good but i just think you lose that element of your club if you were to move away from st james's park it's a uh, for me i think for most newcastle fans i think it's just not a not a question mm. we have to stay at st james's park but it is going to come to a day where the the demand is going to is going to just be insane for the staging but something you know we'll have to to cross at a later line and another topic as well is the badge Uh, what do we think about this because i've seen a lot of people want to go back to an old badge or maybe get a new one i think they will to be honest i think with you know with pif and the new consortium coming in they're probably going to want to re-image the club in terms of you know moving it away from the ashley era and that sort of thing but the current badge we've got That's all I've known as a Newcastle fan, I'm 21, it's the only badge I've ever known, it's a crest that means so much to me. I think a bit like the stadium, you're kind of losing a part of your club forever.
0: I'm less emotionally attached to the badge, like, I wouldn't be bothered if they moved badges, like, like you, I mean, it's the only one I've ever known as a fan, I'm sure Alex is the same, it's like, but it's... It's a badge, like, I yeah. don't know, it just seems a lot different at the stage. I'm like, I mean, you look at Man City, you've changed theirs. I think they've got a really nice badge now. I think, I mean, you look back, you know the, the old one that we've had, the one that was a circular sort of thing?
1: The nufc one?
0: No, not that one, the one with a castle. The oh, castle I know one. which one you mean, yeah, yeah. I think that, in terms of a badge, aesthetically, that is probably my favourite Newcastle badge. And the way badges are going these days, they do seem to be more circular. I don't know. I don't know if that's because it's easier to manufacture or just stick on a shirt. I wouldn't mind something like that. Like the badge for me is, it sounds daft because the badge represents the club, but for me, it's a lot less of a big deal than the stadium. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Alex?
2: We've had that badge thirty-four years, boys. Yeah, that's it. It's it's a generation thing. If you want to get rid of it if you want to change it if you want to do that all I can say is you you better have a bloody good one. I
1: mean does it symbolize a new era? Because I mean you look at the, this badge I mean like you said there 30 40 That's years a good point. it was it was here at the part of the Keegan era the time under Sir Bobby of course Shearer and it also symbolizes as of most recently the Mike Ashley era. Mm-hmm. Do we need to move away from this and, and start this new era of Newcastle United with a new crest?
2: I get that, I'd rather it start, start with a new crest than a new stadium or a new uh, or a new designed kit, I'd rather us do that, but I, I, you come through it and you come through different things and you see new generations of Newcastle United and, and do all that lot, but all I can think of right this second is 12 months ago, right, just hypothetically, uh, hear me out boys, 12 months ago, if we'd heard this rumour, We'd be absolutely getting ready with our torches and pitchforks. Don't you dare change that badge. <laughs> don't you dare. How dare you do is, that. The thing is, with Ashley, right, we'd end up with that. Remember that Leeds badge?
1: Remember the Leeds United badge, the, the one they made and then announced it and oh, to get rid of it after a day? That's, that's what would happen under Ashley. It would be something awful but with, like that.
0: But with more blue and red on it. Blue and
1: red. It'd be spots direct, like in the bottom corner but, <laughs> with I mean, But he makes a point, to be fair.
0: I'm not sure I agree, though, because I, I don't think I've ever been that bad. Like obviously, if it was a terrible badge and it did have something to do with the owner, then yeah, 100%. But if it was just a genuine sort of attempt to sort of refresh the look, it happens all the, happens all the time. Football. It doesn't bother me. I don't think you need it, but it's not something that I would get up in arms about unless it was like a Leeds United disaster of a design.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, you look through the badges in like the Premier League now, and I think there's not many from my lifetime that actually are still the same badge. I mean, looking at, I mean, Chelsea changed the badge shortly after Abramovich came in I think yeah. Liverpool have kept theirs the same West Ham have changed their badge um, Spurs changed theirs uh, P- Crystal Palace changed theirs recently Brentford did when they got promoted I mean Leeds funnily enough didn't it but I think Everton changed their <laughs> badge uh, Norwich are changing theirs next season so it seems quite a, like a regular thing to change badges and I think it, it really wouldn't surprise me if we had a new one going into the summer but of course all this talk about stadiums it's all hype that at the minute because look Let's be real. I mean, Newcastle are going to be at St James's Park for at least another five to ten years. To be honest, it's something in the future. But they are good talking points, aren't they? Because it just shows that the future is very bright for this club, regardless of where they are and what badge they've got.
0: Definitely. I mean, I'd rather have a debate saying is the stadium too big for us? I mean, at the start of the season, it was like, can we get enough people in the ground to make it look respectable? Like, it's just a completely different shift, and that's all because of the takeover and the fact that the, the the supporter base has hope now, which we've been missing for so long. So it's nice to have these <laughs> discussions, to be honest.
2: I'm really looking forward to Sean Longstaff lifting a Premier League trophy at Newcastle United in St James's Park. Long may <laughs> continue. Dan, do you still have that bet on Eddie Howe to
1: be the first English manager to win the Premier League?
0: I do, yeah. It's shockingly poor odds.
1: What was it? What did you get of
0: Um, Just loading Skybet. This was like, I think it was one of the first nights he'd been... <laughs> Appointed. I must have had a few drinks or something because it's a stupid bet at fourteen to one. Fourteen to one. For, uh, this is shocking. It should be at least fifty. the d- The <laughs> day before the take, you remember when we recorded that podcast, the Wednesday before the, the takeover, podcast. like the day yeah, the yeah. cans podcast. I also put a tenner on Newcastle finishing the top half that night, and I was absolutely buzzing because I thought <laughs> six sixteen to one. That's a stupid price. What is Sky doing? <laughs> um. Needless to say, that's probably not going to come in, but. You never know.
1: The <laughs> Eddie Howe. One to be fair, he's probably the favourite at the minute in terms of English managers. Just as long as he doesn't get the sack, But I think
0: I'm not sure he will be because Great even point. when I put it when I put it on at the time, he was joint second favourite, and the favourite wasn't even managing in English football at the time was Steven Gerrard.
1: Because mm, I think yeah. everyone's
0: just so really sure he's cool. obviously going to move. He's the Jurgen Klopp uh, successor. So I, I'd imagine now that he's in actually in the Premier League, albeit not doing a fantastic job, he's probably even shorter than he was at the time.
1: Well, anyways, I think we'll find out in five to ten years' time along with whatever stadium we're going to be playing in and what a badge <laughs> we're going to have. But as always, uh, a great chat with the boys and hopefully Newcastle can, can win again on, on Saturday. Nice to see, isn't it? But uh, this has been Time off brought to you by Vadel UK. Make sure you do check out our website for our comprehensive coverage of Newcastle United the rest of the Premier League, the EFL, you name it, we have got it. From us three lads, thank you very much for listening and we will catch you all next time.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the
0: bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy.